Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Jamie Carragher and you are listening to the Copy Podcast. What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to the Copite Podcast. It is Mick, and I'm joined by Evan. After I've been trying to get him back on for a while, we've done a show about Decore, um, Lavia, Caicedo, all before obviously Lavia and Caicedo went to Chelsea. But I just thought it'd be good to have another little um, re look at those uh, type of players, the likes of Decore and Gravenberg, etc. After obviously the Lavia and Caicedo stuff, and see who Liverpool might go for after all that happened. Uh, but yeah, before we get into it, Evan, how are you doing, lad? How's it going? I think so. I think you're on mute. I think you're on mute. Sorry, lad. <laughs> <laughs> One mess up after the next. Apologies, Nick. <laughs> no, uh, it's been a. Uh, it's been about three and a half weeks since we spoke, but it feels like there's been a year's worth of information and drama and the landscape has changed to a nearly unrecognizable state so i'm excited to unpack it with you yeah it's um i think at the time we were yeah we were quite optimistic that at least caicedo or lavia would have been i guess or definitely lavia i think lavia was the main topic we were looking at the main guy that was gonna and we both kind of agreed um in terms of like ceiling wise and whatever else he was a very good um, fit for Liverpool. Obviously, it wasn't to be. We've went and signed Endo, which no one expected, but um, a bit a bit of a left field signing, but one that hopefully can do some good things for, for, for the club. But I just thought we'd start with in terms of transfers, and it's it's more of an hopefully a definitely not transfer outgoing, and there's Mo Salah because David Ornstein of the Athletic has recently tweeted. About some concrete interest in um, in Mo Salah, Mo Salah from Al Ittihad. Um, yeah, I think this is a bit of a mad one because his agent used to be a little bit of a, a nemesis on Twitter. He used to like post like really cryptic things to try and incite the fan base. Worked a treat because Twitter is anything. It's any slight negativity they will pounce, but. He's turned into a bit of a good guy. He's coming up to the good side recently and he likes to tweet saying like, oh, this is what's going on. Tells us what the playing field's like. Um, and on the 7th of August, he said, if we considered leaving LFC this year, we wouldn't have renewed the contract last summer. Mohammed remains committed to LFC. So just over two weeks ago, he, he, he posted that to kind of quell the rumours or whatever else that, that was happening. But inevitably, it's always going to happen. But 
what are your thoughts on on all this stuff? Well, uh, first, I'd like to agree that, you know, Rami Abbas has done wonders for his PR recently. It wasn't so long that, you know, he was up there with Sterling's agent as agents of Liverpool players that we didn't like. But, of course, he has since, um, you know, you know, he's he's dolled up his image a little bit in, in the eyes of the fan base. And, of course, when you tweet things like that, um, you, you win hearts and minds. And obviously, when your uh, star client isn't currently locked in contract uh, renewal talks with us, then things become less dramatic and he has less cryptic things to tweet about. So uh, good for Rami. I'm happy for him. Um, I am not a, like surprised, one, uh, by these continued links to Saudi Arabia. I mean, Mohammed Salah is the pearl of the Arab athletic world. Um, I, I think as soon as um, the Saudi Arabian project started to really take off earlier in the window, I think most people accepted it was a matter of when, not if, Mohammed Salah would, would head to Saudi Arabia, because obviously they would they would move mountains to, to get him over there. Um, the, the comment that you just read from around me leads me to believe that nothing has really changed. I mean, surely they have, they've had a, a idea of what type of numbers they could come to expect from Al-Ittihad or another club, what sort of privileges he could enjoy in Saudi Arabia, sort of as one of the faces, if not the face of the league. Um, so I don't think anything has really changed for them. Um, what, what I've seen uh, a few people suggesting on Twitter just in the 10, 15 minutes before we hopped on uh, the podcast um, is, well, this is Al Ittihad, uh, a PIF-backed club from a PIF-backed league, uh, releasing these rumors from their side uh, days before we play a PIF-backed club, Newcastle, uh, in, in the Premier League. And such is the, such is the complex web of modern football, multi-club ownership, and things like that so could be a bit of a psyop could just be a bit of a playing of the media you know newcastle and alitad could be you know, you know coming together to to do some psychological warfare on the fan base but what what i do think it's it says to me most of all is i would guess this is muhammad salah's last season with liverpool um no smoke without fire and especially not when a guy like david ornstein hops on the train yeah, and I think I've read a few tweets from people in kind of in response to that. And like you said, kind of saying what you've just said, basically, like, it looks like it could be potentially his last year before, I guess, he does get that move that is so craved by that part of the world. And, and it's, not hard, it's not hard to understand why, because of the links and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I'm hoping... Um, Salah's agent just does another little tweet and goes, yeah, no worries, crack on because him now being on the good side, hopefully you can just throw another nice little tweet out there to to calm the nerves because like you said going into going into Sunday we don't really need, I guess, these like niggling thoughts of what might be in the future with uh, Mo Salah because he is a genius and I say it every time I do a show because I want to kind of fully embrace and appreciate just how good he is because I don't think he really gets that from most people like, like he should so I, 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 am a, I am a big advocate of doing that um, but yeah hopefully I mean we'll see what happens over the coming hours and days what what that develops into hopefully absolutely fuck all that's what, we're all, that's what we're open until maybe next year when we're 
I was going to say in a better place, but who, who knows with Liverpool and transfers? You've got we've got no yeah. idea. So let's get stuck into some, I guess, more positive stuff and more in, in terms of incomings and stuff. Because, like I said, we talked about Lavia and we talked at length about Lavia and a bit about Takure and some and some other players on on the on the last show. And I just thought we'd get, we'd get straight back into Takure because that's kind of one that's. It's been lingering around for a long time, even pre-endo, post-endo. It's gonna, it's gonna keep. Um, it's got wheels, as they say. But you posted a graphic, and these graphics, I'm sure you've noticed, and I've been noticing. I've been absolutely flying on Twitter, like retweets. I retweet them every time. Uh, just do me a little, my little bit on my side for you. But everyone's on these and quote tweeting and whatever else, as they should be. But the one you posted about. The corner was was quite funny because you obviously called it checkmate, which I quite liked. Um, but do you want to just talk us through that and how how impressive the numbers are? Yeah, absolutely. You know, world class statistical content and world class humor all bundled into one convenient online package for for everybody to check out. Hey, did you get that one? Did you get okay? Never mind. Um, I, did, I did. I was on mute and I nearly I nearly spat my water out. But yeah. I got it. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, listen, he's he's got a name that you can do a lot of uh, funny stuff with. Um, but yeah, the, these numbers are extremely I- impressive. Uh, defensive duels won as a percentage um, with successful defensive actions per 90 on the other axis. And then um, the the dot size is, is related to how many possession adjusted interceptions per 90. Uh, they register. Um, first things first, check to Corey registers in between six to eight possession adjusted interceptions per 90. Worth noting that a non possession based team like Crystal Palace, um, possession adjusted stats work against them. They're actually meant to make things a bit more biased towards possession based teams. Um, so guys like Caicedo and Fabinho on this list would benefit the most from that. So for Decorey to be in the upper bracket of that is extremely impressive. I mean, it just says that the, the raw amount of interceptions occurring um, is just unaffected by uh, troublesome things like possession-adjusted stats. Um, what's really, really impressive about his defensive duels one uh, percentage, and for those uh, who are, aren't so familiar with the defensive duel, is when he does not have possession of the ball and he's confronted with the duel so he's the one sticking the leg and he's the one confronting the opposition player with the ball um his roughly 68 percent there if you take this exact scope um so uh central midfielders who played 2.2k minutes last season and at least uh six defensive duels per 90 you take that scope and you broaden it to any age range across europe's top five leagues he ranks fourth all age groups, all top five leagues, again, I have to reiterate that, that is wildly, wildly impressive. Um, and that's the one that stands out for me the most. Um, successful defensive actions, this is all encompassing. So it's not just duels, it's clearances, it's, it's headers, it's anything that can be classified as a defensive action. So it's very broad. Um, as you can see in this, in, this, uh, in this sample size here, he ranks third behind only Jao Paulinha and Casemiro. So uh, elite company there for Czech Ducore um, seems to be able to hold his own in the Premier League as an 
quote unquote established six. And this is a bit of a debate that's been going back and forth across the fan base recently. Um, should Liverpool be targeting a a established six? And people use uh, Ducore as uh, the, the poster boy for the out and out six, the established six. When it's worth noting that in his time at Len uh, in Ligon before coming to Crystal Palace, he was a box to box force. This was a out and out box to box midfielder. Hodgson saw what he potentially could be as a uh, like an established holding midfielder in Premier League and, and put him there, and that's that's what his role has been. So I, I sort of use um, that case study of Czech Ducore as justification for me to say there is really no almost no such thing on the market as an out and out six because at some point but before this last season or for another club a transfer target will have played in a different position uh in an entirely different role in a different team and excelled so i'm very excited about the possibility of signing check to core um probably more excited than i was when we were first talking about it all those weeks ago, you know, when the links were in their infancy. Um, but when I look across the market, keeping in mind what I know the recruitment team likes in terms of the sample size, in terms of where these games are being registered, which league in the context, I, I would find it hard to believe that a guy like Czech Decore wouldn't be top of their list. Yeah, and I think it's that's I think that's a key point because I think players get kind of pigeonholed a little bit into into positions a little bit too easy. And I think you can't just look at one season. You've got to look at, like like you said, the the season at Lons where he's obviously a different type of player. But it's I think we mentioned it on the last show, like he's been asked to do a job and he's performing it at a high level because he's got the quality. But he's still got capabilities of playing slightly different positions or maybe slightly more forward and more defensive whatever i suppose whatever the um the requirements are he can he can fill them and i think that i mean just a, a general broad stroke in, into that i guess is genie one alden because genie one alden was a what a left winger uh, maybe a 10 and attack and player and then kind of merged into more of a I guess box to box on the left side of a three midfielder. So if anyone can do it, Jürgen Klopp can do it. But I guess people are getting a bit switchy because um, it, it seems like Klopp's got more control in the market now. Obviously, Endo points that with the breaking the model and going for a thirty-year-old, which is unheard of. Even Klopp kind of mentioned that in his press conference as well. But another one who kind of fits into that bracket of someone who, if you mention him online. People go, well, he's not a six. And it's like, well, he could still perform that role. And that and that person is is, is Gravenberg. And I think he's been obviously very impressive for, for Ajax. I mean, he's not played nowhere near as much as he would have liked at Bayern Munich. But he's another one that you've done a, a graphic on. And it's yeah called Wonder Kid in Waiting, which I think is, is quite fitting for the, the, the high ceiling that he's got. Yeah, it's definitely it felt appropriate because here is here's a guy who, you know, before Jude Bellingham truly caught fire at Dortmund, he and Bellingham were being spoken of in the same breath back in, you know, 2019, 2020. Um, and his career has gone in a different direction than Jude Bellingham's, you know. He went to a admittedly superior team in, in Bayern Munich, but just hasn't played. He just hasn't logged enough minutes. I mean, his 
his playing time during what looks like it's going to be his solitary season at Bayern, it's rather worrying. I mean, it's it's it is a like noticeably low amount of of minutes played, and not just like minutes in general, but also kind of just like just opportunities in important games. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm trying to pull up the the tweet I had right now. Okay, gotcha. It was it was a uh, uh, twelve uh. 1,276 minutes played total, and that averaged out to 23.4 minutes a game and only two full 90s. And these two full 90s, I believe, were in dead rubber Champions League group stage games. So to, to, to say he didn't really get a chance at Bayern would be a bit of an understatement. So when it came time to pull stats um, due to people's curiosity about him, I'm like, am I really going to pull stats from such a meager sample size? It just didn't make sense. And if you're going to post stats, you need to post them with a responsible amount of context. So I decided to go back in um, to his final season for Ajax. It's worth saying this is considered not his best season at Ajax. Most people consider his best season at Ajax to be the season before this one, which was 2020-2021. When we we played Ajax in in the Champions League group stage, um, first thing I noticed when I was doing these stats is that Eredivisie teams love the color red. There are other colors, Eredivisie clubs. Feel free to choose a, a different color for your club if you'd like to. Um, but Ryan Gravenberch is, is the best midfielder in that league, probably from the very minute that he steps in, uh, enters Ajax's first team before this particular season. Um, we're looking at defensive duels one, which is a absurdly high number for someone who's not a six. Um, keep in mind that the the parameters for this particular group is you need to have at least five defensive duels per 90 so it's not like he's uh contesting two duels per 90 winning them both and i'm like wow look at this percentage um so he's uh fourth behind only guys like jordi classy and ibrahim sangare who's another one of those air division midfielders who gets linked to liverpool from time to time um and then the other two are um forward pass accuracy which is in relation to his dot there, as you can see, he's in the uppermost bracket because he's got one of the biggest dots. And then it's deep completions per 90, which is a stat I love, but I haven't been using a lot lately because I've been doing graphs about holding midfielders and center backs predominantly. So deep completions wouldn't really count and or not count. Deep completions aren't always relevant. Um, a deep completion uh, is when you are inside the penalty area or just outside the penalty area and you complete those passes. So you are deep into the opposition's half, you are well into the final third, and you are passing from within the final third to another place within the final third. So it's basically just, are your final third actions accurate in in terms of passing? And Ryan Gravenberch, by some distance, uh, was the deep completion master in the Eredivisie. And I want to do that because obviously, like you alluded to, Mick, you know, he's not a quote-unquote, again, out-and-out six. Um, and people are saying, okay, well, he has these sort of, uh, you know, attacking midfield capabilities. So I, w- I wanted to take something, uh, you know, one thing that you would associate with a defensive midfielder, so a defensive duels one statistic, and then the deep completion statistic. And as you can see, you know, in the Eredivisie, he's, he's a Rolls-Royce. That's sort of his floor as a player. He can, he can do both. Um he is a guy who has played in a double pivot for both uh, Bayern and Ajax. So to say he hasn't played a 
holding midfield role isn't necessarily true. And of course, now with Trent, uh, Trent and Birding in midfield, we obviously play a, a two-man pivot when in possession. Um, and I again, I have to reiterate, I get the desire for an out-and-out, you know, six to come into the squad. You know, basically what Fabinho was. Fabinho did not play anything else besides six for us, barring the occasional center-back appearance. People want that type of presence to come back into the team. But you were so right, Mick, to allude to Jorginho Wijnaldum as a good case study into we have these pigeonholed, locked-in ideas and conceptions about who and what a player are rather than what they can be for Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. And Wijnaldum is the best possible example because he goes from an attacking midfield left winger whose goals are keeping Newcastle in the Premier League until they didn't. And then he becomes this the, the epitome of a conservative center midfield role for Liverpool and providing us uh, balance and uh, sort of just a greater equilibrium in, in the middle of the pitch. So I crazier things have happened in terms of a player reinventing themselves. I, I, I don't think this, of course, would be a hot take on me on, on Twitter. and I'm a bit scared to tweet it, but I don't think it would take all that much for Ryan Gravenberch to get used to playing in a defensive role. Yeah, I think it's I think it's easy just to forget. Like if so, like I guess it's coming back to the, the Corey thing. If he's playing a, a a six role, he's doing that to a good level. Then you just think, well, he's that that's what he is. He's not, but he's not. If you allow someone, if someone's a, I guess, well, I guess the crux of what I'm trying to say, if someone's a, a very good player, they're a very good player. They they can they're mouldable into what you want them to be based on the qualities that they've got. Obviously, if you try someone somewhere it doesn't work. You might change them slightly or maybe change the system or whatever a little bit to suit them. I think Gravenberg from... I mean, I haven't seen loads of him. I saw bits for, for Ajax. Obviously, we played them as well a couple of times and he looked just very formidable, just getting on the ball, knocking people off, very strong, elegant. I, I think, I, I guess, like a, a someone who's just recently signed for Zobosly a little bit, the way he carries the ball and the way he's got neat, neat feet, can get out of tight positions... I think it's little stuff like that is really it's interesting, but it's, I think it's a very key their, their key trait to Liverpool. To Klopp always mentions about control and wanting to keep the ball better, and I think the more players we've got like that in there, especially when you want to put Trent in midfield and you want to maybe play Darwin Nunes as a nine, you need if you want double the chaos, you need double the um, I suppose fire extinguishers as well, just to kind of lessen. What the 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 good chaos that they cause? That also there's going to be some overhang as well in terms of in, in transition and stuff. So I think he's obviously another another very good option for Liverpool. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to last last graphic before we get on to Newcastle stuff and just have a chat about that. I just, you, you posted one about uh, Bacetic, and I, and it's one of them like you you kind of for, you don't forget about him but i think when he's been injured for quite a while and whatever and he was out of the team when liverpool actually looked like they were playing some good football last year um he was surprisingly on the bench against um bournemouth which was a very nice surprise i didn't think he'd be back just yet but yeah some of the numbers that you can see that you've posted are just very encouraging for someone who's still 18 and i mean i know we can't rely on him in that in that regard but in terms of his age, but from what he's shown so far, and and 
the stats that you post on here, it's 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 hard to not get excited about once he's back in the team again, isn't it? Yeah, um, I was also surprised to see him on the bench uh, against Bournemouth because I think those with more medical knowledge and how injuries work were sort of keen to emphasize that the injury that he picked up towards the uh, end of last season could be classified as serious. I mean, certainly season-ending it was. So I'm glad to see that he's evidently made a speedy recovery. Um, And, you know, I think I wasn't just posting it to sort of try to, you know, perk up the timeline a little bit. I was just sort of trying to remind myself and others what we have, um, which is a very, very special talent in, in, in midfield, which is, of course, the talk of the town and has been since the second the transfer window opened and obviously many months before it as well. Um, he, he has a uh, 999 minutes played last season in the first team and Normally, I like to get at least 1,500 before I add people to graphics and things like that. But, you know, in the interest of doing the things that I just outlined, I thought, you know, what? that's a use- that's a usable sample size for a kid who's only 18 years old. Let's check it out. Um, he's he's a rock solid duelist across the board. Nothing spectacular. Obviously, 55.7% of defensive duels won. That is a far cry away from... Uh, folks like uh, Czech Ducore or um, Lavia, Caicedo, things like that. But again, you know, guys like Lavia, gosh, they played, what, 1,700 more minutes in all competitions than Stefan last season. So who knows, you know, if Pachetic was allowed to really get a, a lengthy run in the team, perhaps he would probably have a higher percentage or a lower percentage. I would guess it would be a higher percentage because it's worth noting that Pachetic's run came – when the team was at its lowest and he was sort of the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel in those games. Um, aerial duels won 50%. That is absolutely solid for an 18 year old um, pass accuracy, 80.1%. That is a bit on the low side, Mick for a central midfielder. I'm going to put that down again to our system issues. I'm, I'm going to give uh, a chat pass on a lot of the things that I find unimpressive numerically in the same way I would give senior team players a pass because with the exception of Allison and Mohamed Salah I mean who wasn't bad last season um and then total successful actions anything you could classify as an action on the pitch Mickey has 64.1 percent of them successful specifically if this information is relevant to you that's 491 of 766 total actions in Liverpool's first team um, so these are the sort of fun things you can do with stats. It's not always fun because they don't always tell you the things you want to hear, but it is fun nonetheless. The the main takeaway I took um, from Bacetic and just parking the numbers for a second, just watching the kid play during that torrid run we went on, I, I, I can't honestly say Stefan Bacetic is 100% like going to be a world-class player one day. In the same way people looked at, you know, Messi and Ronaldo and all these guys when they were 18, and it was like, oh, yeah, world-class is their floor of what they should achieve. You you can't say that about every teenage wonder kid, and, I, and I'm not going to say it for Bacetic, but what I will say is that how he profiles as a player, I think, is world-class. When, when, I'm, when I'm gauging his strengths and his weaknesses, 
when I'm looking at his sort of his habits and things like that. In in a way, Mick, he's who we should be targeting in the transfer market. And, you know, before people lose their heads, you know, internal solution, this internal solution, that like a new signing, this um, it, it's just worth noting. We, we, we can acknowledge these things while at the same time, you know, beg for Czech Ducore, you know what I mean? Beg for Andre Trindade, you know, we, we both, both can happen. I just wanted to remind myself what we have sort of just waiting in the wings, our, our own wonder kid in waiting. Uh, if you will. And hopefully, even with the um, addition of a of another defensive midfield signing, which I, you know, I think we all want, hopefully he can uh, find a way to double the the amount of minutes played. I'd love to see Stefan Bacetic get to 2k minutes a- across the board this season. Um, and I, I really hope that we've we can strike that right balance between upgrading this the starting 11 which was badly needed while at the same time not blocking pathways for the curtis joneses the harvey elliott's and the stefan bachetich's yeah i think Klopp's massive about the about that as well as they're not blocking pathways i think he, he says that quite often he's quite open about that but um i, I for me like yeah you know, like you said not not numbers wise but just like watching him play I just feel like he acquitted himself so well in a, in a side that was just so severely bad and um, hemorrhaging chances all over the gaff. He actually got thrown in, but at the deep end for the 18 year old kid, and he was like expected to throw those tackles in that Fabinho and Henderson were supposed to be doing, and they weren't doing, and they were getting put on the bench. And I just thought they must be pissed off by that and obviously it turns out they've now they've now left obviously not because of that directly but I'm sure they weren't happy about that at the time but he came in at a time where we needed someone to just put a tackle in and he was trying his utmost to do that and I had a little watch again the other day just I mean YouTube compilation you can make fucking Andre Voronin look like Pele can't you to be fair <laughs> but when you watch just like this, just the stuff like we were saying before about these type of players like Gravenberg and Decore, just how they carry themselves like in tight spaces or just having like not being two or three steps ahead. I think he's got that. I think we saw it in bits last year, but obviously he didn't play that much because of the injury. That's, that's one of the biggest shames that he didn't get, like you said, more minutes. But just in against Everton, where he, he takes the the touches and he goes at the exact right place, he takes the perfect touch to know where to go to be safe when he's going to take his second touch. There's the little um, dummy against Newcastle, where it's just little things where it's like for a kid to be able to not only have the ability to do that, but to have the confidence to do that in a game where I mean it's the Premier League. If you if you fuck that up, mate, you, you're done for. They're going to probably score, and it's it's gonna you're going to get the finger points that you're on. Not just um, maybe not in the dressing room, but on on social media and on all of it. And and it started to cut you off, Mick. It, it's not always quantifiable in numbers. Like the the, yeah. the little little moment of press resistance that you highlighted uh, at St James's Park. Um, if if he loses the ball, it's probably a goal for Newcastle. Exactly. But his his remarkable bit of press resistance and skill allows him to evade pressure, and we end up scoring from the move. I believe that's Gakpo's goal. Is, so yeah. in, in stats, I believe that moment would just be he won an offensive duel. So so that's just one little tick in one little category. But that tick, obviously, 
weighs heavier than 99% of the other ticks in his little actions column. So stats do have their limitations. And I think to the eye, Bacetic looks very special. He does. And I think it's something that Liverpool have been trying to do. Obviously, he was signed in December of 2020. So basically, the start of 2021. So he's not been here that long, really. Obviously, it's it's good youth scouting in Liverpool of obviously continuing to do that, going after uh, Leicester's Trey Nioni and West Ham's Amara Nalo. So they're two new additions as well, who obviously aren't going to be in and around the first team straight away, but two years, like I guess similar to Bacetic, or one year if they're, that, if they're very good, you can be part of, of the team. And it's, it's again comes to that thing about pathways and it's never, it's not going to be enough for, for people on Twitter to be happy. Like signing two youngsters like that, it's like, well, whatever, we need give us Decore, etc, etc, give us and, and I get it, I understand it and I agree with it. But you're also, it's also exciting to think that we're poaching these players at a time where they can come in and get really on board with what Klopp wants to do and hopefully be very good as well in the future but yeah can't wait for Chetich to come back and hopefully he can go on a good run um, I think that, that's up- really important Mick I, I'm, I'm glad you highlighted the the sort of the strategy that we've seen in the Klopp era of we're going to go around and we're going to try and get the, the best 15 16 year olds in the country because obviously we're currently dealing with a bit, not a homegrown crisis, but of a bit of a homegrown quota issue, just just in the final uh, week or so of the window, it's something that we have to consider. Um, and obviously, Liverpool's academy hasn't been perhaps as prolific as we would like in, in producing players that could just come directly into the first team. So I I, I think going around in in, in you know getting uh, Ben Doak, Bobby Clark, Harvey Elliott. Uh, Fabio Carvalho was a bit more established. He was, I think, 18 or 19 at the time. Nalo, Nioni, all these guys. I'm a huge fan of this approach. Um, and it's not something that's exclusive to the Klopp era. Obviously, I believe, what, Sterling was 14, 15 when we got him from QPR, something like that. So it's it's definitely how we keep up with the academies of clubs that just have access to more players at, at, the, at the end of the day. I, I think when you just look at the the population difference between Lund- the greater London area and, and Liverpool, you know, these clubs just have access to more players. So if, if we can go around and get them when they're 15, 16, absolutely. And of course it's not what anybody wants to hear right now when we're, when we're trying to spend 80 to 90 million pounds potentially, but y- you can look at the two things can be looked at separately and you can praise one and be concerned for the other at the same time. Yeah, I think it's 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 never exciting to be like, oh, this player is going to be good in two years because it's it's the it's the here and now that we want to fix. But mm-hmm. it's always good, like you said, always good to get these players on on board early as well to get them fully involved and see and see what they're made of. So exciting to to see what they'll, they'll become in the future. But before we before we finish, then Evan, um, let let's just talk about because obviously we're talking about Bacetic, current player. He's been back on the bench against Bournemouth. I don't expect them. I expect it'll be another sub, hopefully a sub appearance against Newcastle when we've got it sewn up. That's the ideal. Um, but what what are your thoughts going into Newcastle and on on the Sunday? Because they've obviously beat Villa first game of the season five one. They got narrowly lost out to City one nil. Um, what are you thinking, like formation wise, and, and what type of what type of style do you reckon we'll we'll go for in this one? Hmm. It's it's a it's a good question. Um, 
I do think we'll continue to play how we've been playing. Um, standard 4-3-3 out of possession and then Trent inverts in possession. And then it's just all about keeping the ball. Um, I was incredibly disturbed with our lack of possession at Stamford Bridge on opening day. Um, I believe we averaged 3.7 passes per possession, which for a team of Liverpool's quality with the players we have, it's pathetic. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, we obviously remedied that against uh, Bournemouth. Um, I believe we went back up into the region of like 4.8, close to 5. Very good. Um, just for context, Mick, the, the floor of what it takes to win the Premier League in the, Guar- in the Guardiola era is you need to average at least 5.7 passes per possession over the course of the season. So obviously when I saw 3.7 against Chelsea, I'm like, oh, well, you know, not going to win the title this way. Um, so yeah, I, I would like to see us dominate possession against Newcastle because given our issues defending in transition, you know, at the same time, we're trying to bed in some sort of, you know, a new signing in Endo, and then maybe someone who's not entirely equipped to play the six in McAllister. I don't want to get in a shootout with teams. I, I, I just really don't want to do that. I don't want four or four score lines. I don't want any of that stuff because when you look at our great run towards the end of last season, we weren't really doing that. You know, we weren't weren't really having too many five fours or three twos or things like that. Um, I, I would like to dominate the ball. That that that's really what I want at the end of the day. Because if if our fear is being to get, you know, destroyed in transition, then you minimize that by keeping the ball more responsibly. You min- you minimize that by not doing what Trent did inside two minutes uh, against Bournemouth. So in terms of the ethos, Mick, that's what I would like to see. Um, I think it's a bit of a toss-up between who will play in that uh, holding midfield role. If Endo is ready for 90 minutes in this Liverpool team, then obviously we have to throw him into the fire a bit. could be a baptism of fire against a team like Newcastle. But it equally wouldn't surprise me to see an unchanged uh, starting eleven. Um, and we would just see McAllister in there again, who of course had his red card rescinded and is eligible to play. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not really fussy, Mick. I mean, I, I, I try to speak a little bit less on, on tactics these days because I don't consider myself well-versed in this new system of what Liverpool are trying to do in possession. Whereas obviously in the four, three, three, Anybody in the fan base could talk for hours about the 4-3-3 because we had such a huge sample size to draw from. We knew what a Klopp midfielder looked like. We knew what the patterns of play should look like. We knew what the defensive strengths and weaknesses were. But obviously, it's a very fluid tactical situation currently at Liverpool. Um, a bit on Newcastle, though. Uh, Alexander Izak scares the crap out of me. I would be in. I would be very surprised if a club like Real Madrid weren't in for him next summer because obviously they're they're uh, they're still in the market for a striker. Um I think he's yeah, he's a scary player. I mean, he he scored against us last season, I believe at Anfield if if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um right foot, left foot, he can he's big as well, deceivingly strong. And I I think, you know, Kieran Trippier was quietly one of the best fullbacks in world football last season. There's a lot to fear for this Newcastle team. But again, that goes back to my original point, which is I think we mitigate that by dominating possession.
Yeah, I think Klopp referenced it after you, you said before about Chelsea, where I think we had it was a thirty-five percent possession, and I think Klopp, Klopp said they say pathetic or something. He yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. He he called the spade the spade, and because it, I mean, when you're watching the game, I guess you're not really. I mean, you notice in Chelsea have a lot of the ball, but you don't realise that in the game, thirty-five percent is pretty horrific, and a one-one draw is, I guess, a good result off the back of that. But I agree. It, I think it's Liverpool. Are, a bit fluid at the minute, I guess very fluid in comparison to what we used to be. I think that's why, I guess, and, and, and I guess and people have been saying this online like about putting Trent in there, it's, I guess, still a new thing. So then you don't want to double the new thing by also adding more chaos with Darwin Nunes as the striker. But then does he just do that anyway and just go, well, We've now got Endo in there. We've told him it might be a bit of a shit show, but you've got your work cut out. It's it, it's a difficult one because again, if you if you then put Endo in, you then you then free the shackles of Alexis McAllister a, a little bit. He's allowed to go and do what we saw in preseason, where he was just picking up little spaces edge of the box, one two touch into the channels, balls in in behind. He's got he's got every pass that you want, so he can he can make you a goal or two just be by being. 30 yards closer to the goal so it's it's all those things that are swirling through my mind and, and what he's going to do but I do think he might go a little bit conservative initially see how the game pans out hopefully get an early goal don't do what we did against Bournemouth which was horrible could have been 2-0 down um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of I mean like you said with the 4-3 it was generally it was always the same team or the, like the same group of like 13-14 but now it's like We've got some options in there, but it's only because of the system. And do we want pure panic in there? Do we want to create some positive panic? I don't know. There's, yeah, I could waffle on all day, but we shall leave it there. Hopefully, the Reds can. Yeah, I mean, last when we went there last year and we beat them two 0 I think going into that game, I was quite worried. And I think, like you said, Isak is. I was worried when they signed him because I saw bits of him and he's very fucking good and uh, the, the lad I do the podcast with Christians is Swedish obviously compatriot mm-hmm. and he was like no he's he's alright he's not that good and then I spoke to him today and he's like I've had, to, I've had to eat me words he's very fucking good and I was like yeah I know he is he's fucking terrifying but yeah, um, yeah I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game anyway but as always appreciate everyone listening thanks to Evan for jumping on back, back on for his second appearance yeah just need one more now for the hat trick lad but yeah appreciate you appreciate you jumping back on of course um you know i'm, I'm glad we could uh g- get back on it after your holidays you look very tan by the way you know cancun <laughs> so south south of france but it was oh, it was even like better like in 37 38 which was i mean mosquitoes were absolutely having me off my legs were just absolutely <laughs> getting battered all over the place um but yeah it was a good time but yeah back back into the real world now but yeah really appreciate you taking the time to jump out jump on lad but we'll 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 do another one again hopefully in liverpool of i guess we've got eight days till is it eight days or seven days the transfer window window ends so i guess yeah post transfer window might be a perfect or i guess transfer day might be a good one to talk about if liverpool are maybe signing someone random again like we did with Endo. If it's a surprise, we can jump on and have another chat about it. But we'll leave it there. Nice one, everyone. Nice one, Evan. And we'll see you all very soon. Nice one. I'm Jamie Carragher, and you are listening to the Cop Eye Podcast.
Sports Social Podcast Network.